Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to your Life's Word Podcast. How are you? How you doing? Welcome to day six of the Social Media Fast Series, where I fast social media for 40 days. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are specifically where I'm launching off of, all in an effort to move more intentionally in my brothers' and sisters' lives. Uh, and I hope you do too. I hope you're taking a little break off of uh, constantly scrolling, searching for better and bigger things or being jealous or envious over other people's garbage or just simply not being real online. And we move just intentionally into people's lives. So for the next 40 days, I'm calling my good people. I'm calling all the people that I truly love and have moved me and have emoted with me and hung out with me and watched my journey and just saying hello and checking in on their stories and uh, and just loving them the way I love them. Today, Brett Akagi. Brett Akagi, photojournalist, producer, workshop leader, uh, probably one of the greatest television photojournalist producers in the business, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, of all time. Uh, he has inspired thousands of young, budding television journalists um, to better and greater things in storytelling world. And we didn't even talk about journalism. <laughs> we, we, we probably should have talked about journalism, but that's our relationship. Brett and I met many, many 20 plus years ago and have remained great, great friends. Um, he is a great source of inspiration and I know you will enjoy him. Here is my dear friend, Brett. All right. So I, so I, I've been recording. So the first thing I got to tell you before we get into who you are on the big podcast is your day. I think your day six or day seven on the big 40 days. So like, this is like a huge intentional moment. Like not, not like it's not like this is groundbreaking or like I'm a genius or anything, but I'm like, yo man, I'm putting together a list of like my top 40, top 50 people. I'm calling them and I'm going to be like, yo, let's have a conversation, catch up and do it, do what we should be doing all along versus going to Facebook and the Insta twit and all that, that other BS. But, but, but wait, wait, before I get to it, we have a yes. friend named Greg Vandegrift. What oh, do you, Vandy. what, what do you think he said when I asked him to be on the podcast? Oh my gosh. He was concerned. <laughs> he, he would, he probably said, Oh, well, I need to talk to the university of St. Thomas first. <laughs> And then I need to ask Jane, and um, I don't know if this might affect my job at CARE, you know, so. <laughs> dude, I. You know he was worried. Dude, isn't it? Okay, so that, okay, so that speaks to how we know people, and this is like part of the exercise. Part of the exercise is like, I knew calling him, and, and again, like anybody who's listening to this, like if you have a friend who's like crazy paranoid about every movement he makes or what other people are going to think about the movement he makes, like this is the guy. So I would encourage all of you out there, if you've got this person in your life, to take make every attempt at, at helping him into that paranoia as often as possible. <laughs> him or her. Yeah, I mean, like... um Gosh, we used to, like, mess with him so much at CARE because we knew, like, his personal space bubble was, like, 10 feet, you know, around him, <laughs> right? So that's why we'd always, like, come up and give him hugs. Oh, my Or gosh. we would be in the enclosed edit bay, and we would, like, pile in and, like, get really close to him. And <laughs> it was great to watch him Dude, oh. Dude, the personal space thing is so funny. Like, if you have people that... <laughs> Like, honest to God, like, one time I kissed him, and I thought he was going to have to go to the emergency ward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, well that, 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 I remember telling him, hey, I love you. And, like, I meant not like, hey, I love you, right? It's like, hey, I love you. 
And he's like, what? Yeah, he's like, what? Oh, yeah. What does that mean? Do you want to have sex with me? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Mandy. It's like, I love you, buddy. Oh, well, thank you. I love you, too. Yeah, it would be like, (laughs) well, Brett, I have to say that I uh, really enjoy our company as well. You... (laughs) are an incredible human being. And if I was to use the word love, I would have to check with Jane first. And then I'll tell you that I love you. Oh my okay, so anyways, Vanny, Vanny, for the record, I think has, has been doing a much better job at that. But that's a whole other story. Okay, so you, okay. Brad Akagi, yeah. give us, yeah. give us uh, just give us the punch list, who you are, where you are, what you do, who you do it with as far as your kids and your wife. Go. Um, gosh, currently I live in the Kansas City area. Um, I'm a, I was born in Kansas. I'm a, I'm a farm kid from southwestern Kansas from a small farming community. Um, went to a small community college and then a small four-year and figured out that I wanted to be in the broadcasting industry. Um, worked in Great Bend, Kansas. Worked in Topeka, Kansas in Kansas City. Met J.R., um, at, at, through the MPPA at the Indianapolis. Nobody, uh, nobody MPPA knows convention. what nobody knows what the MPPA is. National Press that, Photographers Association. Right, and and so that's a professional organization that Jr. and I belong to. And what was great about that organization was um, it was for people who wanted to make the industry better through uh, video storytelling. Right. So Jr. was doing his thing back on the East Coast. Rochester, right? Yeah, Rochester, New York. Rochester with Gunther. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, Gunther was yeah. Gunther was in Ohio. Gunther was in Ohio. I was in Rochester. We didn't meet until we went to Oklahoma, but that's another story. So, I did a few things in the MPPA, won a few awards, and we got. To well, listen, the- wait a minute. You're so. This is what I love about you, and this is like part of the conversation I want to have with you. You are such a humble dude. Like, you got to understand, like, I talked to Phenom yesterday, and Phenom is like, yeah, uh, yeah, I won the greatest award in the world. You, <laughs> and I'm not picking on Phenom, and if Phenom's listening to it, whatever. But I love him. The uh, But you are, like, you are widely considered, like, seriously, one of the greatest storytellers of all time in television. Like, that's a, that's a true thing. Would you agree with that? Oh. Dude, you hate you hate this. You hate this, don't you? I love that you hate it. Well, but that's the way I grew up, though. I mean, my mom and dad would kick my butt if I ever came home and was bragging about myself, and my brothers would be the same way. I mean, we would be the same way as each other. I mean, you and I understand that you you like to say that in in certain pockets, but we also give each other crap, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so good, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Which is good because it helps help us stay humble. Well, let, I, I mean, I, t- tell ahead. me, tell me about that. Okay, so your dad, like, give everybody a, a snapshot because there's a couple things I wanted to talk to you about along that line. Mm-hmm. But suffice it to say, you are one of the greatest storytellers of all time. It turns out okay. you are one of the principal staff teachers instructors at a workshop in Oklahoma that is, again, widely considered the best workshop in television storytelling uh, world. And you like fill a specific role that had big shoes to fill, and and like everybody widely knows, like you're like you're, like dude, if you want to tell a great story, like ask Brett Akagi. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been lucky enough to have been asked to, to uh, be an instructor there at the MPPA news video workshop. And basically, we're, we're embarking on our 59th year here in 2019. That's how long it's been in play. And, you know, you don't have a workshop that's been in play that long if it hasn't been successful. And I would agree with you. I think it's one of the best out there in, in the world. And, and the cool thing about that, it's like, it's like a giant boot camp where you have professionals and college students and production people, newspaper people, uh, college instructors come in, uh, and they get to learn from a lot of different people, including myself, at the workshop. It, it's, it's a boot camp because we only have six days with them. So we've got to figure out how to break down all their bad habits, teach them all these different things, and then build them back up to be – better than they were before they walked in and you so, and you hold the position of breaker <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I, I do and, and I love it the, the, um, the guy who had it before and I call him uh, one of the pillars of the MPPA workshop MPPA news video workshop was was Gerald Barton God and God rest his soul God rest his oh, soul yeah, God rest his soul this guy, he's a two-time, two-time or three-time POI, uh, Photographer of the Year through the MPPA. That means as a POI, as Photographer of the Year, you're like the best on the planet Yeah. as a, as a new photographer. Yeah, big deal. And that, yeah, that title is huge. Well, well, well let's, also, let's, let's give everybody a snapshot of that guy, too, to understand the shoes that you stepped into. Like, the first oh. time I met Daryl, he had... A cigarette, and he's about my height, so he's about five six. Was five six five seven. He he had a face that looked like perhaps he had, you know, lived on you know Mars for fifteen years and was like wind blown, you know, like leathery. I mean, he was a great, cool looking guy. Wore this weird kind of like cowboy Australian hat, leathery face, yeah. good looking dude, jean jacket, cigarette in one hand. Uh, and, and when he'd open up his mouth, like he didn't need to do five sentences. Like he would sum up what you were thinking in like two words. And, but, but the thing about Daryl was you had to show him what you, what, like you had to show him your storytelling prowess. Right. So yeah, you had to prove it to him. And the thing is, I mean, you had to earn his respect. Yeah. No, hundred, hundred percent. That's, that's the best way to say it. Yeah. And, and his background so he grew up in the midwest worked in the midwest uh he was a a combat marine in vietnam i mean that tells you kind of the stones that he has and then he worked for network and then he worked on a show 48 hours uh, yeah well he was for and for everybody who knows that's our age because if you're a millennial millennial listener to this maybe you would know the 48 Hours franchise, but in the beginning of the 48 Hours franchise, who is that? CBS, right? Was it CBS? Yep, CBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So CBS says, and this is through Daryl and through Bob Brandon and a few other producers, they're like, yo, mm-hmm. let's follow peep a story. Let's follow a story for a true 48 Hours, meaning we're going to shoot video for 48 hours following people around. So Yeah, it, like the thing that they, that they showed before was like they followed like New York City homicide detectives in New York, like going to scenes in like the crazy stuff that goes on. I mean, and they had complete access and it was just like, it was so at that point to me, groundbreaking and to you, I'm sure to you too, JR, it was so groundbreaking because just 
the style of the shooting, the type of storytelling, the access. I mean, it was like phenomenal. Well, like you'd be, that was like must see TV for us back then. Yeah. His, and, and so just so everybody realizes the guy, the guy like Daryl Barton, he, he is a very, he was a very simple man and a very damn good uh, videographer, cinematographer, storyteller. And his deal was like, I can remember one of his lines was the world is my tripod. And so, yeah. and so as a photojournalist, like when he would say, yeah, we shot for 48 hours, Daryl wasn't out busting balls on setting up a tripod on everything. Like he was shouldering, yeah. he was shouldering a rig that with the deck, because he, this was prior to beta. It was prior to, yeah. it, it was prior to having a uni cam. Like he would have a camera and then a deck around his shoulder. Now, at that point, there would have been a sound guy attached to all that stuff. So we're talking maybe a 50-pound rig along with a sound guy next to you and doing that for 48 hours straight. Yeah. And, and it eventually got to the beta cam. So that's like a, like a one-piece camera basically is what it is. But like what JR is talking about is a deck is you had a cable attached from your camera to this recording deck. I mean, that's how ancient we are, of course, that we remember stuff like that. But then it, it got to the beta cam rig, and it was still heavy, you know, and he still had his audio guy. But Daryl was like, um, there's a there's a video floating out on YouTube. It's the tribute to Daryl Barton at his memorial service. And the, the people from 48 Hours, uh, some producers, put it together because they had some behind-the-scenes footage of, like, Daryl doing his thing, and then some of his most memorable stories. Well, they ended up calling him like I think Yoda or the Oracle. The Oracle. The Oracle. This, yeah, there was this like um, he was in this the operating room on this this op, uh, following this this uh, staff surgical staff, and they were in the middle of the surgery, and all of a sudden the machine that to, bl- to pump the blood away from the body. And I think they were doing a brain operation at this point quit working. And so the, the I mean, n- not that they were freaking out the surgical staff, but they were like, going, okay, there was something definitely going on. Daryl figured out how to get the shot, right. To the telling moment. So what they did was they hooked up a suction tube from another OR room. If I remember right to the machine, right. To, to, to get the blood out of the body and Daryl raced ahead of of the into the raced ahead into the other OR, right, waiting for them to turn the machine on. They did, and you see this blood coursing through then this tube to get away. He anticipated that. He thought ahead and got that shot, and so that's why he got that title. Yeah, because he could. He was always ten steps ahead of what everything else was going to happen. Yeah, and he was there to capture. I mean, that's the type of. A photojournalist that he was, a type of storyteller. That he yeah, was. the the great thing about you know again, and and if you're if you're listening and you don't know too much about television photojournalism, the basic the basic bloodline, you know, not to get you know crazy on on his metaphor, but, but I mean the crazy DNA that runs through you is the ability to anticipate action, emotion, or moment. And so Daryl, Daryl became the de facto master of this. Um, I think of other guys that you and I know, Lane Mickelson, Mark Anderson. Lane Mickelson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just think about that. Okay. So anyways, you are, you are the new Daryl Barton and I don't want to take any of that away from you because you hold, you hold several things that are, 
equally as wonderful and great to Daryl. And obviously your personalities are a bit different, obviously, but I just, I like, again, like part of my exercise doing this with everybody over the next 40 days is for me to like tell you like your influence in my life, particularly in my storytelling life, um, was just massive because I I can remember meeting you for the first time, I think, in Indianapolis um, mm-hmm. at a conference. And I can remember I was so in so into the storytelling world at that time that I um, that I, I mean, I, I studied as much as I possibly could about the people that I really admired and wanted to be like. And you were one of them. And I can remember the first time I saw you in a it was a, a lobby in a hotel in Indianapolis. And you came walking through and I said and we, we didn't know each other. I knew who you were. Yeah. And I said, holy shit. My, I was like, holy shit, that's Brett Akagi, man. I'm going all in. And at the time I was all in on meeting all, every great storyteller that I could in the world and moving my way to Minneapolis to be with the guys that care. But dude, I marched right up to you and I went, Hey man, I'm JR. And I can't thank you enough for, and I, do you remember that moment between us? I, I, I vaguely recall it, but that's cool though that you remember that because it's like, I, I, I think about, and I know that you're the same way, JR, that we think about the people that we meet along the way <laughs> I mean, we meet a lot of people, right? But yeah. We rarely <laughs> hang on to those people, right? Yeah. And, and and stay connected with them. And I know social media, it's a little bit different these days, but that's not the same. It's not the same as far as like, I, I, I can remember when I had two job losses and I, you know, and I'm texting you or Facebook messages like, hey, my gig's done. Can you talk? And then you're like picking up phones like, yeah talk and you would drop whatever you were doing to help me out you know yeah and i you know i'm the same way too like on this podcast right yeah like I, i'm preparing dinner for for my weekend and all of a sudden i see a facebook message i was like hey you want to do the podcast like yeah like 30 minutes like okay what do you want to do it's like uh let's do it now it's like okay you know but that that's the type of person you're the type of person I want to be and I want to hang out with. Oh, dude, you're so sweet. The type of person that I want in my life. And, yeah. and, and I'm picky. Well, I mean, I mean, again, over the years we have become and and again, like this is so freaking weird. The last time you and I worked, like, think about this and the people that are listening, like, I really want them to understand that the last time you and I worked together was like, what, (laughs) 25 years? I mean, how long ago was it? Was it like 25 years ago? When did you leave? I left, I think I left 1998, 1988, nine, somewhere in there. Oh my God. So maybe it's been. Yeah, it's been, it's been like been 20 longer. it's been like 20 years, dude. It's been like 20 years since we worked together. So but yeah. here's what's funny about you and I. That day we met, like we click like brothers even though you're Asian and I'm Irish, which I <laughs> will always consider the Irish people <laughs> much more superior as you know. <laughs> um <laughs> I've got the better tan. That's all. I yeah, dude, I always was pissed. Your skin was way better than mine. <laughs> but the other, the other thing about us was we had a, and again, like, uh, you know, for me, this is kind of a teaching moment for people, but it's also an understanding moment for myself. Like our passions drove us together, but it's our hearts, our souls that really glued us together. Because at the end of the day, although we can talk television until we're blue in the damn face, what we really do with one another 
is really hardcore, deep issued life stuff. And I know you and I, I mean, dude, you and I have been deep like a lot as we've gone, yeah. as we've not only orchestrated or made our way through the business, but also just simply made our you know, way through being men, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I would tell you, like, I was lucky enough to get to care, but the, the thing is, I had, I had two job offers. Um, I could either go to KSTP across the street, more money. Um, there, I mean, they had, you know, they were up and coming and they had all, they said all the right things or to work at care. You know, and it was a dilemma, and I was basically on the fence. And then I remember talking to you. You you were the one person that tipped the balance because, you know, we, we had established our friendship in Indianapolis and stayed in touch. At that point, you were working at CARE, and you basically told me, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, what you need to do is what's best for you and what's best for your family. You know, money's great and everything else. Uh but you've got to figure out what's going to be best for your family. And that's what tipped it. It's like, you know, you're right. And then, then when I started looking at that, it's like, yeah, would I like to make more money? Sure. But in the long term, it would have been, it was going to be better for me to, to go to care than to KSTP. And I made the absolutely right choice. But one of the biggest reasons why was, was because of that conversation. Because you were, you know, you were insightful and you were honest, and, and, and uh, you know, as opposed to, like, and, and I love Boyd Hooper, one of the best, you know, one of the best local television story uh, tellers in the country for a long time, who works at CARE, and Jonathan Malott, who worked at CARE at that point, too, was, what, three POIs, two POIs, photographer of the year, I mean, phenomenal storyteller, and those guys, and I love those guys, but they were sell, you know, they were really trying to sell me on why I needed to come to care, and we didn't have the same conversation. Yeah. So when you had that conversation, I mean, that wasn't. The first, I mean, you, you didn't sell me on coming to care. You just sold me on what I needed to do, what was best for my family, yeah. and I, that had an impact. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think at the end of the day, again, and I agree with you, but boy and Jonathan, great, great, great people, but. And, and obviously their friendship is, is, is different than ours. And that, and that happens. I just think at the end of the day, how you intentionally move with people to really bring out what's happening inside of them, I think is just the best methodology for helping people move forward in their life. Now, with that said, because I only do this podcast for 30 minutes because I'm hyper crazy about that. And cause I don't, a, I don't think I'm any good after 31 minutes, but that's another story. But the, um, I want to talk about your mom and dad. I want to talk about your ethics, your heart, what you learned, because your mom and dad story is to this day one of my favorite damn stories in the world, not only because it had a huge impact on you, but it has an impact on me because as I got to know you and I got to know your mom and dad and what they did, where they came from and how they did it. I was like, holy shit. It, 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 I mean, at some point, at some level, they're rock stars. So t- give us your, give us the snapshot of your mom and dad and what they did. Oh my gosh. My, I, I, anything that's ever been good that came out of what I do, how I am as a person is a direct reflection on my mom and dad. My mom and dad are, are second generation Japanese Americans. So that meant that their, their parents came over from Japan and settled in, in the United States. 
and on my, it, I mean, it was tough. They, they um, settled out in eastern Colorado, uh, out near Rocky Ford in, in Crowley, Colorado, and it was hard, hard times. When people think about they've had hard times, here's my, my mom's family. Her, her dad passed away. There were six kids. She was a baby. My her her mom, my grandmother, my bachan. Um, that's bachan is grandmother in Japanese. Bachan. Bachan had to live out like at a farmhouse with dirt floors. The only way that they could heat up that house in the cold Colorado winters was go stand by the railroad tracks when the coal trains came by and see if any coal fell off. Oh my gosh! They they ate weeds. They ate lambs ear. Because I, uh, if, if you know, I've my stories on on Vimeo. If you ever want to see it, but when I interviewed my uncle, he talked about just like hard scrabble times. They ate weeds for vegetables. Jeez. You know, I mean, it was like tough, 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 tough. And so, she and plus, her, plus her, the plus the whole deal of them being Japanese. I mean, at this time in yeah, American yeah. history, they Japanese people were like, "Hey, get out of here." Yeah. And it, I don't know how tough it was before the World War II, you know, before the attack in Pearl Harbor, but certainly it, it completely changed after that. And, you know, Dad remembers, like, the sheriff showing up at the at the house, taking the guns, taking any shortwave radios. Wow. Just the stuff that was said. I mean, it was it was tough. You know, like, I, I wrote a line in, the, in my story, and it's like, you know, they, they had the face of the enemy, you know, and it, it was tough. We there, there was a, an internment camp in Grenada, Colorado, um, not too far away from where they grew up at. And we had two family members by marriage that were relocated from California out to Colorado. So, you know, they call it internment camp. And it wasn't, a, I mean, internment camp, people, oh, camp. It's like, well, a camp with barbed wires, with guard towers, and the guards had machine guns. And the fact that these people were relocated to a number of camps, including Camp Amachi out in Grenada, Colorado, where they basically had to give up everything that they had. Sold homes, sold cars. If they had land, they had to give it up. And not a lot, and, and a lot of people took advantage of them and got that stuff dirt cheap. And a few people actually looked out for them and, and held on to the stores and the property until they came back, but that was just very, very few. Yeah. So it was tough. So, so that's kind of the environment that my mom and dad grew up in. And, then, and my mom, she started, she had rheumatoid arthritis. And it really, it started affecting her in her teens. And then after mom and dad got married in the 50s, mid-50s, it got, it got worse. To the point where she had her knuckles replaced in the mid-60s. Shut up, I didn't know 60s. that. Yeah, in her hands because they thought because you know rheumatoid arthritis basically destroys the the joints, especially yeah. in the hands and stuff. And it helped for a little while, but she still had to deal with that. But I, I'm telling you, any my toughness and the, the, the steely resolve that I have, if I have it, you know, I'm I'm a wuss compared to mom. Comes from my mom. My mom was the toughest person in the world, and you didn't jack with her. You didn't make her mad. I mean, you know, I've got three other brothers, and we were scared to death of her. What was her What was her name? What was her name? L- Lillian. Yeah. Uh, but Utico in Japanese. 
Japanese. So Utico, Utico, Utico is marching right. around the farm like, hey, get your shit together. I'm going to do something to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. She had a pair. Like, she carried around a pair of, like, cooking chopsticks, you know. Like, they're bigger than what you usually use. And smack us with it. We call it putching. She putching us if we step that line. Or Wait, so she's, she's walking around nailing you with the chopsticks. This is the greatest oh, yeah, thing chopsticks. ever. Yeah, so we didn't mess with them all. I might, you know, I like, listen. I might, I might take that. I might do that. I that might be my new thing now. Hitting the teenagers with chopsticks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and dad, you know, the thing that I got from my dad was he was very. His name is Ginzo, you know, right? His name was Ginzo. Ginzo, yeah. Yeah. Ginzo, Ginzo Kagi, and he, uh, he, I got my social skills from him. That guy, and I always just think about this. Deal. I, I mean, I think about him a lot, mom and dad a lot, but I was thinking about how he was an expert on being able to walk into any place, any location, and going up to complete strangers and having a converse, uh, like a deep conversation with them, making them feel good about themselves, and you know, they'd be friends at the end of the conversation. My dad was a master at that, and that's how, I, I mean... I learned that by watching him, and then I applied those skills out in the real world with my job as a journalist. I mean, and was he was, and, but eventually they wound up in Kansas on on their own farm, right? That's the deal. They wound up farming. Yeah. yeah. What did yeah, What I mean, did the family farm? What was the family farm? What were they raising? Uh, we grew sugar beets for a while until the market dropped out. Um, and but wheat, corn, soybeans, Milo, <laughs> even popcorn for a while. And he grew some popcorn for a while, but yeah, and, that's and, what he did. He was a crop farmer. And and so, and I know you, I know you well enough to know that like you don't meet Brett without getting like a few seconds into the conversation without without a real representation of what his mom and dad were like in his life, which is like absolutely like just a phenomenal thing to have and hold and to be given as a blessing in your life. What is the, and this is hard. This one's going to be a dumb question, but you know, as a formal journalist, I'm going to ask a dumb question. What was okay. the one thing that Ginzo gave you that like, is like your everyday pop? Like what's that one Ginzo thing or that, or that one mom thing that gives you that everyday kind of oh, it's, hit? It's my work. It's my work ethic. The other day. So I'm walking out of work on Friday and the producer walks up to me. She was leaving and I was still there. She goes, do you always do a 12 hour day? And I just looked at her. It's like, I do whatever it needs to be done. I go, sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 11, sometimes it's 12 hours. Sometimes it's more. I go, but you know, I just do what I do. You know, I don't make a big deal out of it. Not unless I need to, but the, it's the work ethic. thing. And wouldn't you say like, I, as I hear you say that, here's the picture I have of you. The picture I have is, Yes, you have a work ethic, but I think it also is a measure of your selflessness. Like I remember, like you were the guy, like, and I'll give you one story real quick. As I was shooting a live shot, like that picture of you and I at that live shot, I was shooting a live shot in Minneapolis, just outside the station doors. And it was literally like 40 blowout and I was freezing my ass off. And so the talent would wait inside until 30 seconds before the shot. They'd come out, run, do the shot, run back in. But the camera guy had to stay out there. You came out. You came out to see how I was doing. So, yes, you have an incredible work ethic, but I think also what I see is like this unbelievable selflessness that you have to do the job, to make sure that everybody is also doing the job, but also like envelop community around that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I try, and, and 
it's just part of in you in you know so for our audiences that doesn't know you or me uh, very well, we're all about helping out the team. We're all about helping out our teammates, and I think people need to do that more in life. It's like yeah, you talk a lot about in, in sports metaphors, but I, I believe it. It's it will, you know your life is like a sport. And in order for your life to be more fulfilled, in the, in, it, you need to be a better teammate. You know, I would love to have better teammates. You would love to have better teammates, right? Oh, but let me tell we, you something. We need to start somewhere <laughs> in that we need to be good teammates first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, listen to me. It's 33 minutes. I'm over my, yeah. I'm over my a lot of digital time for the day where somebody somebody comes in i know dude we could talk forever uh i just part of my exercise on this too is to let you know dude how much i love you how much you've influenced me how much i crave like you know i know we talk you know one of the things that nobody well i think diane knows about you me and vandy is that we've had a facebook string the good side of social media we've had a face facebook string going for like five years i don't even know how long it's been going but but it's like i crave time with you I love seeing you. I love your wife. I love your children. Like I love everything you stand for, everything you do. Uh, I even love the you know the faith that you carry and how you carry it is is so huge with me. So, dude, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for being a mentor. Thank you for pouring into me when I didn't have the energy to do all the crazy shit that I do. Thank you for encouraging me. Like, thank you for all that, dude. I just love you so much. And I just wanted you to know that. Well, I, I would say I, as much as what you say, I give to you, you give to me. And, you know, I can't think a lot of people don't understand this, you know, well, it's because no, you're Asian. No, they, they, they don't understand our journey sometimes, right? No, they don't. If you go back and take a look at our journey, it's like, well, what is wrong with you guys? But <laughs> when I take a look at, when I take a look at, okay, yeah, we've gone through a lot of places and gone through a lot of things and we've hauled our families around through a lot, I mean, through a lot of things that we're still the same people. I mean, yeah, we were flawed. And we make mistakes, but we love what we do. We pursue our passions. We want to be great teammates, not just to the people we work with, but but we want to be good people to, to our family, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you have been, you know, someone that I look to up to because of of your faith, because your commitment to family, because of our friendship. And because I, I feel like I know you and I know your heart. That's good, dude. And I, and that's why I'm your friend, man. I just, I, I don't hang out with jerks. Well, listen, I, I, listen, the only reason I hang out with you is because you're Japanese. So that's a thing. So (laughs) other than that, I don't like anything about you. Like I, like, here's me. Like if I can be friends with as many Japanese people as I possibly can, I'm a happy guy. Well, that's only because we're short and it makes you look kind of tall, but not that much. <laughs> I, just for the record, I have been inducted into the Japanese uh, culture because of my friend Brett and vice versa. Vice versa, Brett has been invited. When I was drinking, and this could be a whole other podcast, but when I was drinking heavily, Brett and I might have partaken maybe a few alcoholic beverages. Brett turns red when he drinks. Oh. 
because yeah. you're allergic to alcohol, right? Yeah, I'm allergic to alcohol. <laughs> so you told me, like I can remember, and just this is the last story we're going to tell. Him, we're going to leave that the the because uh, you know I, the Irish the Irish Asian thing has always been our funny little jokes to one another. But I can remember yeah. you looking at me and like I don't even know where we were, some bar, and you went, "Hey, by the way, if you see me turn red, it's okay. I'm a little allergic to alcohol." And then I can remember <laughs> looking back at you so sorrowfully, going, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." Like you had told me you had cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're yeah, like, no. Thing is, you followed up with, you're still drinking though, right? Go, yeah. I'm still and then I ordered another round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I turn as red drinking as you do when you're out in the sun. Well, I mean, here's the bitter irony of our relationship. It turns out I'm allergic to it too. It's just that I had to quit drinking or else I was going to F up my life more. <laughs> okay, okay, listen. Me on your podcast. Oh, really dude, cool. dude, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. I love you so much. This is Brett Akagi. If you need Brett Akagi, you can g- get him through me. If you, hey, if you're at, if you're in television, I know the few of you are in TV and you're looking to jump markets. You're looking to get out there and storytell. And I know a few of you. I know who you people are. If you need to get a hold of Brett, Brett, how do they get a hold of you if they want to either go to the workshop or have some mentoring or, or or how do people get a hold of you? You can reach me at my Gmail account. So it's Brett. B-R-E-T-T, Akagi, and that's A-K-A-G-I. So, Brett Akagi at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay. So, if you seriously, I know a few of you out there who follow me uh, are all about the storytelling and all about jumping markets and getting into a good place and getting into a good shop. Brett can help, and Brett can also get you into the uh, help you get into the MPPA workshop uh, coming up here in the what is it coming up in the spring, right? Yep. In yeah, March. In March. So. All right, buddy. I appreciate, love you. Hugs and kisses to everybody, and uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. I love you so much. Okay. I love you, JR. Thanks, man. All right, good people. Uh, day seven? Day, day. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Day, day, day. What are we? Day six. Day six is in the books. Day six is in the books. Hey, if you need me, I'm a spiritual director, mentor, JR, JRman.com. M E H O N, JR at JRman.com is the email. My phone number is on that website. You can call me, text me. I'll text you back, I promise. But if you're looking to better your relationships, not only with yourself, but the people around you and the faith that spins this world around, the love that is in us, I'm your guy. If you're looking for a mentor, I'm your guy. You're looking chasing your passion. Are you stuck? Do you want to move forward? All that kind of business. I'm your man. So hit me. I love you all. Tomorrow we'll have another wonderful person, and I'll talk to you then. Brett Akagi, I love you, baby. Bye.